0: Welcome back to Speak Your Story, a conversation with the Black Trojan community about personal experiences and prospective solutions on issues of micro and macro aggression from within the university system and beyond. I'm your host, Samantha Sadoff, a 2020 graduate with a BFA in film and television production and minor in gender studies. Last time, I spoke with Jeff DePrimpe about the mental toll and moral responsibilities that come with racial profiling, and they suggested ways that students, as well as faculty members of the university, can address this problem. Today, I'm joined with Joshua Smith, a fellow Class of 2020 graduate with a BS in Music Industry, Music Production, and a minor in Cinematic Arts. Josh is a 22-year-old rapper and entrepreneur who releases music under the name Clarence the Kid, and you can find his latest project, Can You Hear Us Now?, Soon to be on music platforms everywhere. Josh, welcome on. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you?
0: Of course, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for your willingness to come in and speak with me today. I'd love to hear your story.
1: Of course, of course. I mean, when you contacted me and said what you were doing, I said I can't not you know participate in something like this because I I definitely think it's super important to continue having the conversation after all the hype has died down. So. Before I get into anything really, I just wanted to take a little time to appreciate you for what you're doing and just shout out the good news that you're you're putting into the world. So your efforts do not go unnoticed. But I guess what I wanna talk about today was the detrimental effect that the glorification of proximity to whiteness has on the black community. And that's kind of a very wordy sentence and wordy subject line so i'll break it down a little bit but i guess we'll start with my backstory where i grew up in san jose california in the bay area Uh, i went to predominantly white schools my entire life and so i have always been a minority growing up and when i came to college at usc it was the same sort of situation and what i've realized specifically within the last few years, my junior and senior year, is that throughout my entire childhood and those first two years of college, I was unknowingly being trained to sort of want to disown my Blackness and train to give up my own cultural heritage or kind of stuff down those aspects of me that prove that I am unapologetically Black, because through those experiences I've had growing up, the less that you identified with those, the more praise that you would get within that institution. So I guess to get into it a little bit more, this this really started in high school, I would say. I went to a, a Catholic high school, Archbishop Mitty. But while I was there, I was really actively involved in the school. I did some athletics, I was on basketball team, and I did track and field. I was involved in student government, in the leadership roles. I was involved in campus ministry programs. I was involved in the admissions program for the school. I was running some of those tours and speaking at the open houses and events. When they had a couple new buildings being built on campus, they hired me to do a, a speech for the groundbreaking and for some of the donor-benefactor events. So I was all over the place. And they always came to me for these sort of big-picture events and to be a face on the campus. And I thought it was great. And it was just like, wow, I feel so cool. I feel so honored to you know always be, always be selected to do all these things. But recently, a hashtag started trending on Twitter. I don't know if it's still all there, but it was hashtag exposed midi. And Exposed Midi was all about most, it started with students of color, but then it kind of morphed into all sorts of issues that school's administration was having as far as engaging in dialogue and and dealing with issues with the students. But it started off with people of color. And they were saying that a lot of people's experiences at that school were basically marred and not looked at upon as enjoyable because a lot of the things the administration did silenced those black voices or unfairly picked on those voices as well. And so there were friends talking about how the dress code said that they couldn't have their hair in Afros or they couldn't have their hair braided certain unnatural colors or whatever. And they would always have to get written detentions for just having their own natural hair or how they would be walking in a group through campus and one of the other students, a white student would just like, walk by with their phone and say like, oh my gosh, I'm in the hood. And when they would report that to the administration, nothing would happen. So as I was reading through all these stories, I couldn't help but feel sort of disgusting internally because one, I had never really experienced any sort of encounter that mirrored those experiences of other black students on that campus. Or other students of color. Every single time I went throughout my day, I had no problems. I could just be who I was and I got praised for it all the time. So kind of reading through these stories really made me take a step back and say, whoa, why did I never experience something like this? And as I kind of thought about it, I realized that it was because I unknowingly kind of took that role of the token student of color who was in those leadership roles and we kind of kind of came to the face for the minority population on campus. And because of that, and because of my activeness in those leadership roles, it gave me a sense of immunity from the racial biases and microaggressions that other students were seeing and so knowing that was kind of hard to swallow for a little bit, it brought me back to even farther back in my childhood, where my parents didn't really talk about black issues that much they tried to make me not they tried to they didn't try to make me conform to white standards, but they definitely showed me the the benefits in aligning yourself with whiteness as far as it goes with career advancement and putting yourself in better positions to get ahead in life. And so then when I finally moved into college at USC, that's when it kind of hit me that this is an issue because my first year on campus, I was looking around at all these people, all these clubs and organizations are out there yelling at you, talking about, oh, come join our club or come join our club. And the Black Student Assembly approached me and I was honestly too scared to go to those meetings for the first year and a half because I had never grown up around Black people. And I felt so disconnected from, from my Black identity. Like, I felt like I couldn't relate. I felt like I had no place being involved with them because they wouldn't accept me. But throughout that year and a half, I also started to learn while I was getting involved in leadership roles on USC's campus as a tour guide, as an orientation advisor, the spirit leader, as all these different things that I was doing. I also started to realize that even though I was actively involved, I still wasn't being taken care of as well as the other coworkers that I had. My concerns weren't being addressed as often. And basically I was starting to feel the, the implications of those biases and microaggressions that a lot of my friends and colleagues were having in high school which kind of put me in a weird position where it's like, okay, I spent most of my young developing life abandoning my blackness in order to advance and have opportunities and not have to worry about getting denied from places because I'm acting a certain way. And then once I get into those places, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I am still a black man. And no matter how I act, I will still be treated differently regardless. But since I had been abandoning my blackness from day one, when it came time to try to find a pocket of people who could make me feel comfortable, it wasn't the black people either because my family had never taken the time to really revel and experience what that would look like in in the present day. So it it creates this very lonely void that just is not beneficial to anybody. And so once I started to really realize this, now we're getting into like, you know, junior year of college,
0: once I started to realize this,
1: I was like, okay, now I, I acknowledge the problem. I stepped down from most of my leadership positions, and I really focused on trying to figure out who I was as an individual. And once I took the step away and looked into myself and tried to just be me and stopped trying to act like whoever else was around me, once I started to be me, I naturally gravitated toward those students in the BSA and in the creative Black arts community. And that's where I had felt the most at home I had ever felt at home in my life. And it's so sad that it took 20, 21 years for me to finally find that place of complacency and comfort. But I think the whole reason why it took so long was because during high school and my young life, I was always praised for my proximity to whiteness. And that is just very harmful in the sense where you lose your sense of identity. struggle to feel accepted in any situation and then when it comes time for something like a resurgence of the black lives matter movement you feel vastly uneducated on the issues going on sure you see the big ticket items like whoever it was that had their life taken by some authoritative force this week or whoever Got sent to jail for a petty crime or whatever. Like, I've always seen those stories. But as far as learning Black history, as far as learning about the Tulsa Massacre and learning about all these really pivotal events that have happened throughout history that have been kind of silenced by the textbooks, it was just a really eye opening moment for me. So basically, the last few weeks, month or so, however long it's been, I found myself really having to educate myself on my own heritage. But all this goes to say, that if we are to advance as a society and if we are to really give each other a fair shot at creating a sense of equality, we cannot continue to celebrate proximity to whiteness, especially as it relates to minority cultures and minority groups. It's important to obviously know your own heritage, celebrate your own heritage and be unapologetic in your heritage. That's not to say you can't grow up in the community I did, and that's not to say that it's not okay for you to be a minority. Obviously, everyone has to live where they can or whatever makes the most sense for them and their family. But just because I lived in that pocket of San Jose didn't mean I had to be deprived of the Black experience. That didn't mean I had to be deprived of what Black movie makers and what Black Recording artists and authors and poets and even people in business professions and doctor's professions, like those stories are super important. And those stories need to be shared with especially the youth as they're growing up. So then when it does come time for them to make their own decisions and they are reaching their 20s and they are reaching even their 30s and they have those pivotal positions where they are the people who are changing the world and they are the people who are advocating for rights and are signing petitions and are donating money to different funds and nonprofits and things like that. When it comes time for them to be the movers and shakers and determine what the next steps for humanity is, they will have been educated on their own heritage. And they will know how to have those intelligent conversations with their friends and colleagues who don't align with their own individual cultural heritage. And that is my story. That is my message. And that is what I've taken away from the last month and really from the last 22 years of my life.
0: Everything you said resonates on a deep level to me and I'm sure a lot of people out there. I want to touch on the idea of seeking social safety or crafting an identity as a reaction to racism and fear constant race-based microaggressions and sort of bullying teach someone that their identity is a source of ridicule and shame at the hands of their white peers. And to survive socially, they often move as far away as possible from anything culturally Black. So where do you find your balance or your resources for wanting to fit in and be accepted by your white peers while still holding on to what makes you, you?
1: Yeah, I think the balance that I found And obviously, it's still readjusting as time goes on. But where I'm at right now, personally, is I've obviously had this almost decades-long inner conflict, trying to figure out where to fit in. And it's just a matter of code switching and a matter of figuring out how to act in each space. And that's not what we should strive for at all, but that's just how I've personally been going about it, where if I am in a predominantly white space, I have to kind of think about The way I'm presenting myself in order to appear non-threatening or in order to give the impression that I am actually intelligent and I have a right to be in that room with everybody else. And until that sort of narrative changes where people are making assumptions about you and your intellect and, and your abilities based off of the way you look until that changes, that's the way that I'm seeing myself adapt and evolve in those situations. And then when it comes time for me to actually be within my black community and take that mask off and just be myself and be comfortable in being myself, then that's kind of that time where you recharge. But I think once the initial impression has been broken, I guess you can say, like if I am entering a new space, I do have to be super hyper-conscious of how I'm acting. But as the weeks go on and as I'm seeing those faces over and over again and they're getting more comfortable with me, as a human being, that's when I can start to add a little bit more of my Blackness or a little bit more of my own personality. And then also there's no one term or one definition for Blackness, obviously. There is the definition that is pushed socially or stereotypically or whatever, but obviously everyone has their own Black experience and it is very case-by-case, very situational and every single one is valid. So that's not saying I can't act stereotypically, it's just saying I can't act how I want to until I build that trust. And then once I build that trust within those spaces and get them more comfortable with who I am, I can start being more real, more genuine, more authentic. And hopefully change the narrative for those people who may not know as many people of color or black people and get them more comfortable with the idea of black people in general. And yeah, that's kind of how I found my balance, at least for now. And I hate that it is that way, but that's the way that has worked for me and seems like a decently solid temporary solution until more people can get on board with the fact that everyone has their own cultural identity. And it's not a hindrance or it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to be celebrated and something that brings new perspectives into any situation, workplace, classroom, whatever have you.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, we've created a world where people... Feel like they have to perform or mask certain parts of themselves in fear of being judged. I want to dive into that a little deeper as a problem that really plagues our society. So often you hear these stories about a Black person having the cops called on them with the crime of looking suspicious. And there was a study in the 1940s, now nicknamed the Doll Test, in which psychologists Kenneth and Mamie Clark tested the racial perceptions of children by allowing them to choose between playing with a white or black doll. And they found that the majority of the children preferred the white doll over the black doll, giving it more positive characteristics in their explanation as to why. In their conclusion, they cited that prejudice, discrimination and segregation create a feeling of inferiority among African-American children, damaging their self-esteem. There is this unspoken yet revered bigoted fear that all people of color are doing something wrong, that they're dealing drugs or they possess a weapon. And it isn't until they discover that they're a doctor or a PhD student or really take the time to get to know them that they settle the speculation. So I'm wondering, Josh, how do you think we should work to eliminate this prejudice first impression of minorities that is unfortunately so historically baked into our socialization?
1: Yeah, before I get that, I just want to comment on that study because when I saw a video of that study and I saw the children that were being brought in, it honestly broke my heart when I saw those little black girls pick up the white doll. And then when they were asked, Why'd you pick that one? they said, Oh, it's prettier. And why didn't you pick the black one? Oh, because it's ugly. It's so heartbreaking and devastating to see that. And I think it's really, really telling of the society we live in where you're kind of trained to hate yourself if you're a person of color. And I think what Part of the issue is specifically with blackness is a sense of representation if you look on tv or you look on the internet or wherever you're getting your information from black people for the most part can be put into maybe three three or four categories you can either commonly see a black person as some sort of recording artist singer rapper musician of some sort you can see them in the film slash acting slash comedy world. You can see them in the sports world when those three are all fields of entertainment. And the last place you see them is as mugshots on news reports or as criminals in your favorite TV show or or whatever have you. And so that kind of paints this narrative in that picture where a lot of black youth are looking online and looking at these stories and they say, I'm only going to have value if I'm an entertainer. And I can't see myself being anything else because I'm not flipping the TV and seeing Black doctors. I'm not seeing Black business people. I'm not seeing Black lawyers. I'm not seeing Black commercial airplane pilots. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. They're not seeing it and they're not recognizing that opportunity. And on the other side, if you want to just make it a Black and white issue, white kids, when they're growing up, it's the same thing but the other side of the coin. They're not seeing black people as anything other than entertainment and criminals. And so I think part of the steps, one of the major steps that has to be taken in order to reverse this narrative is to push black stories that don't fall within those categories. Obviously, black people are very creative and I'm not going to take that away from us. I am a creator myself. And so it's it's a beautiful thing to have those opportunities. But at the same time, I feel like it's an oversaturation. And I feel like there are not enough stories being told of Black people in other professional vocations. And so once that happens, and once, even if you do want to keep it in those four categories, if you stop showing mugshots instead of just a regular picture that you pulled off of their Facebook page, From a musical standpoint, if you stop pushing the songs that are glorifying selling drugs and objectifying women and spending cash frivolously and stop silencing the pro-Black songs that are talking about uplifting your people, because that's something that happens very often where they say this song is not commercial and technically satisfactory, and they could stop the release of your music that empowers your community. So if we stop putting up blockades like that, it definitely will change the narrative. The young kids, they are so pure. You are so innocent, you have no biases toward anybody. If you look at any video of young children playing, they're playing with everybody. They don't care about race, racism a thing, skin color doesn't matter, people are just people. And it isn't until they see these images over and over again and hear these stories over and over again and learn to embrace the stereotypes that racism becomes a problem. So, to recap, Basically push all Black stories and then also create those spaces where people can be themselves, be unapologetic and just normalize decency and normalize getting to know your neighbors and your colleagues and your friends before resorting to whatever you saw on BET or whatever you saw in whatever movie you just watched.
0: Exactly. I think media representation is where it starts. I mean, as soon as you're born, you are watching everything. You're watching what's happening around you with your friends and family. And then you're sat in front of a TV and you're watching shows and then movies and the news and everything on social media now more than ever can definitely influence how a person sees the world. So I think That's one big step and and one change that a lot of people have easy access to and can fix in this moment as we try to progress to a more inclusive society.
1: 100%.
0: And before we wrap up our discussion here, I think an important topic to introduce to the discussion of African-American students in white proximity is the practice of affirmative action in schools. Or as defined by the Cornell Legal Information Institute a set of policies preventing discrimination based on race, color, and national origin to positively support members of disadvantaged or underrepresented groups. The legal origin of this practice comes from President John F. Kennedy's Executive Order 10925 in 1961, and is now protected under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. While some find this action effective in remedying the results of prior discrimination and preventing such discrimination in the future, Someone says that this is an unfair program which gives minority students a quote-unquote free ride. I want to start to unravel this with you, Josh, and discuss how beneficial or maybe even harmful affirmative action is to African-American students.
1: Man, that's a loaded question Um, because I think it's, it's really both. I think on the beneficial side... It's great to give those kids those opportunities to be in those spaces, to have a better chance to go to those prestigious universities or whatever space they're trying to get into. But I I think for the most part, it is kind of detrimental for a few different reasons. And I think the main one is once you get into those spaces, once you are accepted into, let's say, whatever college it is, and it's labeled with that affirmative action stamp, you're already going to be invalidated. Like just as a person of color, you're already going to be invalidated. But with the affirmative action stamp, you're going to be invalidated even more in your classrooms, by your teachers, by the administration. And they're not really going to take you seriously as a student. So you have to work twice, three times, four times. as hard to prove your worth, to get access to those resources and to come out as a well-versed, well-read scholar who really embraced educational opportunities despite everything that's been thrown against them. So I think that's very harmful and makes life very hard for a lot of the students, which is why, especially when you're looking at PWIs, a lot of Black students choose to go to HBCUs because they don't have to worry about having to prove themselves every single day. They could just be students. So I think affirmative action was very well-intentioned. And I think at its core, it means nothing but the best for those students, but I think it should be going above affirmative action. And I think that change should be starting from the time your kids. A lot of schools are severely underfunded. A lot of libraries aren't even open, or access to knowledge isn't available. And so I think what really needs to happen is a larger systematic change where the public education system is put at the forefront of the government spending and. Just giving those kids the opportunity from the jump to have a fighting chance to learn what they can. So, by the time it gets to college admissions and things like that, they have all the resources, all of the knowledge, and they have been adequately taken care of from an educational standpoint. I mean, yeah, there are pluses and drawbacks to it, but I just think it needs to start from the lower levels. It needs to start from elementary, it needs to start from implementing more after-school programs and giving those opportunities to students of color from a much younger age.
0: I definitely agree that this is a problem that needs to start from its foundation, from the ground up in how we teach people to view others. But let's talk a minute for people who are maybe already in college. I know I've definitely had people rationalize my acceptance into USC as a need to fill a diversity requirement, disregarding the hard work and talent it took to get where I am, when in reality, Minority students work almost twice as hard just to have the same opportunity to have their voices heard and their goals met. So Josh, what is your advice on how to respond when someone insists that the color of your skin grants you a free ride to where you are today?
1: I definitely dealt with that a lot when I got into USC. A lot of people were upset that they didn't get in and I did. I mean, a lot of people would always ask, how did you even get in there? Like when I graduated from high school, I had like a 3.1 GPA or something like that. And I was very actively involved, but people would see that, would figure that out. And they'd be like, how did, literally, how did you get in? And for the longest time, I would just kind of shrug my shoulders and say, honestly, I don't know either. And I would start to doubt my own self-worth. So for anyone who is facing that question, I would say it doesn't matter how you got in. It doesn't matter what people are thinking about the ways you got in. What matters is you did get in and it is now time to capitalize on that opportunity. And the more you let people into your head talking about how did you get in or always affirmative action, basically trying to invalidate your own worth and your own talents and your own skill sets. Once you put those ideas out of your mind, you can focus more of your time and energy on capitalizing on that experience and on the opportunity. Learning and absorbing all the knowledge you can from your classrooms, getting involved on your college campus, networking through the network that the school has through their like alumni programs and really getting the most you can out of it so that eventually once you get into those high positions of companies or wherever you're starting to infiltrate you could then be a resource and start to look out for that next wave of entrepreneurs and business people and medical professionals and creatives you can be a resource for the next generation of workers That's just kind of how it is right now. It's easier said than done. It's definitely really easy to let the people get to you. But I think until things change on a larger level, you just got to be headstrong and confident and believe in yourself. Know that you got in for a reason. Know your worth. And then provide the space for the next generation of people to come in and lift them up as is your
0: responsibility. Know your worth and do the best you can do with the situation that you're given. So, Josh, are there any last remarks or closing words you want to give before we sign off here today?
1: Man, last remarks, closing words. If you're listening, love yourself, take care of yourself, especially right now with a pandemic and protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and aliens and murder hornets and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff going on. Make sure you're taking care of your mental health. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. Know your worth. I love you. I don't know who all you are, but I have all, all my love and good positive energy is radiating out towards you. Keep strong and just do your best to respect everybody and respect everyone's opinions and engage in conversation. Man, I have so many things I want to say to people. You know, it's just like, I guess at the core, love yourself, respect yourself and others and Black Lives Matter.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining me today and spreading the love. Please make sure to continue to tune in to learn from your fellow Trojans and fight on until justice is won.